Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the co-founder of Divisio, the all-new affiliate network for people doing good, as well as theleveragist.com. We have a fantastic show lined up for you guys today. I am still waiting for my co-host, Jack Comfrey, to join us. Jack is my all-around partner in crime. Here he is. Hello, Jack. Hello. How are you today? And how? I am great. We got some beautiful weather down here in Florida. How about up there in Indiana? It's perfect. I found a nice little stand of old growth forest right here in the middle of my town this morning. <laughs> and it's oh, beautiful. Oh, nice. Weather. Yeah. Finally. Yeah, we'll see if it lasts. (laughs) And we've got another great guest for everyone today. Why don't you go ahead and do the honors, Jack? Yes, today we have Nathan Seagal. Nathan uh, is a PTSD survivor, and he is helping people in a new Facebook group that he's created. I believe it's new, Freedom from PTSD. You can look it up on Facebook. And uh, Jason, uh, Nathan wants to make a difference right now. Now that he's experienced freedom, real freedom from his suffering, he wants to help as many people as he can. Uh, one way he's done that or is doing that is through this new Facebook group. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. Nathan, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we'll start you out today like we do everybody. I, I think we have an idea based on your, your bio what you're really fired up about, but what is it that's getting you out of bed in the morning right now, super excited to greet each day? Well, it's just the the idea of this thing called freedom. You know, this PTSD is a huge problem for many people. And when I experienced freedom from it, it was actually quite a shock because I um, actually didn't expect it. Sorry, I'm hearing a little bit of noise on the line, um, some echo. Yeah, there's a little bit of echo here. Gina, is that maybe possible? I'll try muting. We'll see. Okay. Okay. So anyway, the the problem that I had, I thought I was going to go to my grave with it. And I never expected to get better. And I wound up working with this coach, and we wound up going through all these things. And he kept saying to me, oh, we can get rid of that. And I remember thinking, well, and saying, actually, well, that would be nice, but I really don't have any belief or it was. And then one day uh, we did this one particular exercise and all of a sudden the noise in my mind just suddenly stopped. And I kept waiting for it to come back and it didn't. Well, it it did come back a little bit recently, uh, although I've been able to stop it in my mind again. But at the time, though, when it stopped, 
I kept waiting for it to come back, and it, and it didn't, at least not very much. And and then it, I, after about a week or ten days, I realized that something major had taken place. And when I got on the phone with Hamish and we started talking about it, I realized that all the symptoms of PTSD are what people use to define what this illness is. It suddenly vanished from my life. And it was quite amazing, really. And it was in the wake of that that I said to Hamish, we need to take this to the world. We need to do what we can to help others. And because uh, from what I can see, there's not a lot out there that works. There are things that seem to work, but this stuff really works, and it's very, very fast. So well, that's about it. Is there any way you could take us through, generally at least, uh, like like what is this process? Because I think a lot of people probably sure. make assumptions as to what is available out there. If they know anything about it at all, they probably had some remedial idea of those things that you said don't always work or never work or in my opinion, well, it, it seems like people just say you have this is a PTSD survivor or somebody who's dealing with it now, yeah. and and that's usually where the conversation just kind of ends. It's like, wait a minute, is that really who you're going to define this person as for the rest of their life? That's that's obviously not them. You just said that they have a problem, but that's not them. Yep. And I think that's it's, really it's where true. society starts to leave off, isn't it? Yeah, I would agree with you. So one of the things, like Hamish and myself, we've been doing a show on our group weekly, and last week one of the and and I really like what you said there because it's so incredibly important. Because if people are saying, "Well, I want to be this and I want to be that," or "I'd like to be this," and I'm saying to them, "Well, the truth is, you already are." who you need to be. Your identity is already in place. There's nothing wrong with that in any way. What's happened is that the trauma and the conditioning and all the things that have gone on have created a whole bunch of layers on top of who you naturally are. We remove all that and you revert to who you've been all along prior to PTSD showing up. And a lot of people don't know that. They're assuming, oh, well, I need to get here and I need to go there. And if I do only this, something, it's like, no, you're already there. Your, your essential personality structure, who you are, is already there. We don't need to fix anything. We just need to remove this crap that's caused you so much pain. And that's all we need to do. And, and once we do that, uh, there won't be a problem. Yeah, I... I uh I'm always, for some reason, his book just came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, quoting Kyle Cease. Uh, it's been three shows in a row now, but it just it's appropriate. <laughs> it just keeps popping up. He does Kyle a little skit. He's like a comedian. He's like James Carey had a baby with Eckhart Tolle. And, uh, yes, and I, I, he delivered. I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. And he, um, he does something on his stage. Which he just talks about you know, letting something go. And it's not to belittle yes. at all anything that anybody's got. But, you know, he, he turned his microphone over and he said, how hard is, is it to open your hand? That's literally all it is to let something go. Again, not belittling what anybody's ever gone through or how hard they might think it is. And he reminded everybody of that last week sometime on Facebook. I replied and said, you know, it's not really hard to let something go. You open up your hand and it falls out of your hand, you know, in a, in a literal yeah. sense. 
And in a figurative sense, it shouldn't be any harder than that. It should just be a thought change or process or whatever. But I said probably the thing that people have to do and it's the hardest thing to do is you have to fall out of love with why you're holding it in the first place. And that really brought up a lot of discussion because a lot of people would say, I don't love where I am. But then the discussion ensued from there. I'll let you take it from there. But I thought, well, that's pretty, you know, we've got to figure something out to get people help and and to frame it in a way that they can perceive a way out, right? The the trouble is that idea of just letting it go, that doesn't work with PTSD. I'm sorry. Not in my experience. If it had worked, I would have been able to resolve it years ago. And I have a very strong background in spiritual practice. I've been doing this for mm-hmm. well over 20 years, and all the spiritual practice and all the work that I've done didn't touch this. And there is a very important reason why. You see, a, a lot of people, psychiatrists, psychologists, and so on, what they do in a lot of cases is talk therapy. The trouble is they're reaching the person at the level of the, of the conscious mind. And the problem of PTSD is held much in a different place. It's held at the level of the unconscious. And unless you know how to speak to the unconscious mind in its language, there's very little that's going to happen that's going to shift that PTSD or allow it to change or dissolve. And if you keep Mm. going at it at, at the conscious level, which is what I had done and so many other people do, it really doesn't make any difference, or at least not a lot, because you have to be able to communicate at the unconscious level. And if you can't, good luck. I mean, there may be the odd case where it resolves, but it certainly didn't in my case. And when it did resolve, it's when the person I was working with was using techniques that addressed the problem at the level of the unconscious mind. And that's when things shifted. Everything else I did prior to that, nothing worked. And I did like 15 sessions of EMDR and all sorts of other stuff, and it was kind of interesting, but it didn't help me at all. It didn't make any difference whatsoever. So, are we talking about hypnotic hypnosis, or yes. what? How yeah. are you reaching the subconscious? Okay, specifically, what we're using is techniques from um, neurolinguistic programming, or NLP for short. And so, mm-hmm. there are these different hypnotic things that are done. Like the number one thing that every well. There are three major things that happen for each person who needs to recover from PTSD. And those are timeline, belief change, and anchoring. And from what I've seen with the various clients we've been working with, the, the, um, the timeline thing is what happens first. And the timeline is where the, the coach, the NLP to- coach, will take you on a hypnotic journey back into your past. And in such a way that it reduces or minimizes any trauma of re-experiencing the events. And it takes you back to what I refer to as the, um, the linchpin moment, that moment where everything began. And if you're familiar with what a linchpin is, a linchpin is something that is the last piece you put in a place to hold the structure together. But if you pull that linchpin, the entire thing will collapse. And that's what timeline is about. You may need to do it like one or two or three times for it to completely collapse. But the purpose of it is it finds that linchpin moment, that moment where the trauma began. And it removes that. It dissolves that. It takes away the emotional link to the trauma. Now, if you listen to Hamish when we've spoken about it, 
the trauma doesn't actually change. It, it, the event still stays there, but what goes away is the emotional link to it. And that's where all the flashbacks and nightmares and everything go along with that. Now, in my particular case, when we did it, the actual physical event did change in my mind. We did it twice, and in, in both cases, the event changed. But it went from something that was active and painful to something completely benign with no pain whatsoever. And so that's the first step. And then afterwards, depending on what's going on with the person, then there's belief change. And then the last step, at least for me, was a process called anchoring. And the anchoring process is what just, that's where everything stopped. And it was incredibly simple. Like this stuff that I'm talking about, in terms of practical application, one needs between four to six sessions for the PTSD symptoms to be removed. And in terms of clock time, no more than five to seven hours of actual clock time. And to, and to put it in perspective, I'd suffered from this for almost 40 years. And these sessions took place over quite a period of time. They could have happened faster, but it's just the way it worked out. But in terms of clock time, about six or seven hours, no more than that. What, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure that all, all of the seeking that you've done, all of the years that you dealt with this before you found a solution, you ran into an awful lot of research and people um, suffering from PTSD. And mm-hmm. I have always wondered what level of trauma in the T of the PTSD, uh, what level of trauma does it really take to have something like that? I mean, I know you went through some pretty horrendous stuff, and that's what everybody hears is they come back from the war, they come back from really, really horrendous. But, I mean, what is the bottom level for somebody? Are there people out there who don't know they have PTSD by any chance? Yes, there are. Uh, it's something that's shown up repeatedly. Interestingly enough, I wound up talking with uh, an NLP practitioner who was helping people with one particular form of PTSD, and she kept attracting a particular client. She didn't know why, and then she started to analyze it and realized that she herself was actually suffering from that particular form. She didn't realize it, and when she realized it, she got help for it. Um, We tend to attract what is in our lives, what's in our minds. And so, for example, somebody who's suffering from ongoing problems with bullying, I remember somebody telling me years ago, well, the reason you're having this problem is because you have it in your energy field and and that's what you keep attracting. Now, I remember thinking or wanting to believe that that was baloney, but there was a deeper part of me that realized, no, and this is true. And when the shifts took place, all of a sudden, the major problems with bullying vanished. And what happened is I started attracting the victims and people suffering from PTSD Mm. instead of the other way around. So it was really interesting that is there a base level? I can't tell you that. I don't think anyone can. I mean, there are various different ways that PTSD can show up. A car crash will do it. Um, Mm. it. It can come from so many different things. And there's no, there's no one particular trigger. Part of, the, part of the thing is, is we're all wired differently. And an event that might cause PTSD and severe trauma in one person won't have an effect on another. It's just the way we're wired. Yeah. That's why that it's really it anyway. strange because a lot of people come back from the same exact uh, 
area in which, you know, I keep thinking of war stuff. I don't know why that's what's in the news so much. Um, and it's, and it's very so common. much more recognized as there. But, I mean, the, you know, the whole platoon was there, but a couple of guys came back with some, you know, and, and maybe they were closer to the bomb or they saw the kid die or whatever it was. But, it, you know, it, it people in the vicinity of that either are repressing it a little bit or maybe a lot or are not coming back with the same uh, problems. And it's really well, like, it's like really a, wild that we could that two different people could be exposed generally to something and have such radically different reaction. It's just the way it is. I don't have a, a quantifiable answer for you. This is all I know. I mean, yeah. from my own past, since I was exposed to it, since I was a little kid onward, I really didn't have any choice or reference points or anything else. And it's like right. a, another friend of mine from years ago wound up in a in a cult group. He was exposed to it when he was nine years old. He didn't have any defenses or anything. I mean, he finally got out of it, but it, it took many years, and it wasn't until he was an adult and in his 30s that he actually managed to become free of it. But in terms of the trauma, big time, huge trauma for him, and he's yeah. not recovered from it. And one of the things, too, like when you encounter people who have suffered this trauma, many of them won't seek help. They just won't, or they're too afraid, or whatever it is, and, and it stops them in their tracks. There are just so many things that go on with this, and to put it, you know, looking back on it, it's rather an odd thing, but I was saying to Hamish, my coach, the other day, I said, this problem with bullying, um, which is my reference point, that's where I came from, I said, it's actually really simple. It's not difficult at all. But what's happening, though, is that you have a trauma, and I liken it to a little black seed. And when the trauma happens, it goes into your mind, it goes into your body, and it sprouts. And it sprouts in a gazillion different directions, and people keep treating the, the after effects, mm. not the actual root cause. You rip it out at the, the root, you destroy the root, and the entire structure will collapse. And that's what I keep seeing in the world, people keep treating the effects rather than the cause. And if they treated yeah. the cause, people would get better much, much faster. So I think we have a pretty good idea of what you are doing, uh, what you're seeking to help people with, and, and mm -hmm. if we could switch gears a little bit to talk about that. Sure. Um, what, what are your plans for, how long has your group on Facebook been active, and what are your plans for uh, reaching the biggest number of people that you possibly can? Well, the group on Facebook has been there for a little over two months, and we have about 500 members so far. And in terms of reaching out, uh, I'm, I'm the one who's been doing most of that. And initially it began with Facebook groups, and I've been looking at, I've been talking to different charities. One of the things that I, uh, my major goal is to create joint ventures with people. And I've got a couple of those in the works right now. Not really sure how they'll pan out. But the thing is, in order for this to work, we can't do it all on our own. We, we don't have those resources. So we need to partner with people who do have those resources who can help us with the funding and help us reach the audience. Because one of the things that we've encountered a lot, in no small way, is plenty of victims, plenty of people who have been hurt, and virtually every one of them is as poor as a church mouse and they can't afford what we have to offer. And we've tried various different pricing models, but what we're 
finding is that we either need to find good joint venture partners in terms of charities and corporations, or we need to find a, another way of reaching that audience, going after very high-risk groups of people that can actually afford what we have to offer. And that's been a, a big part of the challenge for us. It's what we've been seeing so yeah. far. Yeah, so there's no shortage of people to help. And it's probably not been very difficult so far to attract the 500 people you have in the group so far, <laughs> right? No, it's not really, know. that's not really the problem. No, the, the suffering from PTSD is far more widespread than anybody would have ever imagined, uh, than we imagined. Let me, let me rephrase that. I initially, we started looking at the military, veterans, different groups to do with that, but what we very quickly discovered is that there's a tremendous amount of PTSD amongst so-called normal, everyday people. It happens in many of the professions. It happens on the domestic uh, level, in terms of families. Tremendous um, PTSD to do with family violence, and it's just astonishingly huge. It, it's just uh, overwhelmed us in a way as to how many people have this problem. Well, I'm thinking in terms of where we can find some leverage, and I'm mm -hmm. wondering about functional people who are functionally suffering from PTSD, but they go to work every day. They're just not really optimal. They're not, and they might miss some work. Or, and I'm not an expert, so I'm just throwing some things out, but. Somebody, a third party, the employer or someone like that who has an incentive in keeping this dear employee that they love when they're up, when they're on their game, keeping them there, helping them with uh, whatever they possibly can instead of, you know, I'm, so there's, there's that demographic starting to appear in that idea, but what do you think about that? Is that something that you have seen in, in what you've looked at that you could be isolated as a big enough group of people in such a way that you could organize around that. And then it, the funding could be provided for people who, or, or if they are gainfully employed, they're functionally okay, but they would like to make that change or finally address their issue. Um, you know, that would be a demographic that could pay for uh, the service, for what it costs. Is there that much out Absolutely. there like that? Yes, there is, from what we've been seeing. I actually wound up in a discussion uh, with Hamish yesterday about it. We're going to talk about it more today. Uh, one of the major targets that we've discovered is bankers, if you can believe it. There's a tremendous amount of uh, strain for these people in the banking industry. Dentists are another group. Lawyers are another. It, it hmm. rather astonished me when this showed up, because... Uh, Certainly the most obvious targets are the, the military, sorry, poor choice of words target, but in, in terms of the people who are suffering, the military is the most obvious one, and yet there are many, many other groups, at least on the professional level, that we've found so far. And so one, one of the things we've also been seeing is that some of these uh, organizations, uh, the bankers, certainly the different banks, but within associations and so on, that they do have programs in place to address this because they're, they are suffering very high levels of stress. And it never occurred to me that something like this could be the case. And hmm. yet me it's neither. there. Yeah. 
No, I mean, well, it was, it was a, quite a, a surprise. There's a place to chase it down, and that's really, really encouraging because I was yes. hoping that you wouldn't say, no, everybody's pretty much on their own. We've isolated groups, but there's no, there's no corporate backing or any kind of health care or anything that covers anybody, so we have to go after them one by one or piecemeal, and, of course, there's no leverage in that, and it makes it really no. incredibly difficult to help people because you um, – you know, I mean, you have to be paid for your time, and you have to be paid for this because you guys have to live too, and uh, it can't Absolutely, be. But the, yeah. the other thing, tru- truly a great opportunity to be able to help the church mouse folks as well Yeah. through all of this. So like making a partnership with a bank or a, an association of bankers or um, lawyers or things like that, I mean, part of the pitch would most certainly need to be, or it would be a, a giant omission that would probably help push a lot of people over the top in terms of making a decision to go with you guys would be that a portion of these proceeds, and you probably already thought of this, and you probably already tell me if you already have, but a portion of this goes to help maybe with scholarships or whatever you would want to call them that's more appropriate for this application for the people who really need help, all of these people who just don't have any way, any other way to gain access to this solution. And that powerful combo is that service piece that really helps propel a lot of uh, businesses like the one that you're talking about into a whole different echelon of, you know, success and having to keep up with the demand of that it creates. Because then a company, a sponsor, a joint venture partner can really get behind something because it's like, well, here, take care of our people and we can pay for them. And also we see that we're going to be supporting your efforts to help a lot more people who can't uh, do it on their own or need some support. Is that something you guys have discussed? Yep. It's definitely been on my mind. The The challenge has been like how to address it. And you just gave me the answer uh, listening to you. I thought, that's how I'm going to pitch it. Because um, I was thinking about the the letter that I need to write, and look, part of it is like, how do we find these people? And one of the things that comes to mind, and I, since I'm not in the states or Canada, it's not easy for me to get access to it. But I just need to get a, a library card for a major city, and that may sound a little bit weird. Why would I need that? Because I want to go on to the large cities database and access the Gales Directory of Associations, uh, which are throughout the United States and the world, and so on. There are like well over 20,000 associations that I can get access to. And to be able to write to those people would be a really great way of getting this started. Associations mm-hmm. have a, a tremendous amount of leverage. And so to be able to open the, the door with them first and then working with, say, the people at the top or some people who may have an issue with the PTSD themselves and showing them how this can work and then using that leverage, that testimonial, whatever you want to call it, to for them to reach down into their organization and say, hey, we know something that can make a big difference. And this is what we've been doing uh, on a a smaller scale within our group. The trouble is is with the, the members who are just individuals or not parts of organizations or associations, whatever it is, to be able to help us with that leverage. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, th- I like the way you're thinking. I like where your mind's at with that. And lots of neat little subtle leverage things in there that are very instinctual for you. You just rattled some things off that we sometimes have to spend an hour or two on a call to help people understand and get their minds fully around. So you're you're thinking the right way. And even though there aren't groups um, so in some areas, that there aren't, uh, there isn't a place that has a mailing list to get to a certain kind of group that you want to get to, it doesn't mean that you have to immediately stop looking because you you always, when you're trying to use leverage and you're trying to find the, the highest point of leverage, you always have to stick to your guns with that. Leverage is only good if you can find it, if you can put it into action. So there has to be a, a place, an association, somebody who can send out a newsletter saying, I just did this thing with this guy, these guys, and I just got rid of my PTSD. I just had an incredible experience, and I want to tell you about that and have that go out. You have to still – and they have to be out there, and your sense that it's in that database of 20,000 associations is is spot on because that would be the kind of place that Gina would have people start. She loves to go to associations and work all kinds of leverage deals um, just by serving people the way that you're talking about. I would love to hear what Gina has to say about it for sure because any any ideas that she has on approaching the associations would would really help us because I've, I've been sending out a JV letter and so far I've had a couple of places respond, um, one of which I've spoken to already a number of times. And actually, out of that thing, even though it hasn't turned into anything that will help us monetarily yet, one thing that did happen very early on is that the guy sent me a document based on the DSM, I forget, and I forget what DSM stands for, but to do with um, uh, a mental criteria of diagnosing PTSD, PTSD rather, he sent me a form which we could use with all the people before and after to help determine where they are after they receive this kind of treatment that we're doing. And so he said to me, I'd really like you to fill it out, like where you were before you started and where you are now that you're on the other side. And so I just did that a few days ago, and the results were, he was very pleased with my results. He's going, this is really good news. And uh, so it's, this is an example of how that relationship can work, because it will help us develop case studies and in, information that we can use going forward. I mean, still protecting people's privacy, and yet still being able to right. speak about it in a way because we can track it, which is great. We I believe that. that echo and that feedback means that Gina is here and has something to say about associations. Thank you, Jack. There's an echo still? <laughs> yeah, it's some weird That's little really thing. Not when you weird. talk, though. That's and really not doing really it now that you're talking. Strange. I know, technology. But at some point, I'm not going to talk, right? Okay. So... <laughs> What can you do with associations? What I heard you say so far is you've emailed associations. I Not almost so far. never. So how are you contacting them? Um, I haven't started working with associations yet. I've only been dealing with charities so far. I've been using a couple of tools. One is called Charity Navigator. And I haven't started looking at associations yet. And any um, advice you can give me on that, I I would be thrilled to hear it. Well, even charities, how are you reaching them now? 
mostly by email at this point. I find that that is very ineffective. Are you okay. getting results reaching them through email? Yes, I've had um, about half a dozen results so far. That's awesome. That's very unusual. Typically, what I recommend huh. with both associations and nonprofits of any sort is call them, see if you can find at least the name of the right person to reach, and then if you've got to go through sending an email because you didn't get connected directly to the person, leave a voicemail. In the voicemail, reference the fact that you're sending an email. Then in the mm-hmm. email, per my phone call, in the subject line, usually gets a better response than just okay. sending an email. Yeah, the process I'm following is what I learned years ago to do with joint ventures, which is what I was taught by my mentors, uh, which is why I'm using it. And if it sounds like your approach is better than what I've been doing. I mean, the last time I did this in a major way, I wound up with a pretty substantial joint venture, uh, although I have been wondering about my method, wondering if it was good or not. And you've just said it isn't. So, okay, no problem. I'll change. But I've had about half a dozen and with results regard so far. To with regard to associations and how to find them, you know, the easiest way is to use one of my favorite sites. It's called Google. Short of Google, <laughs> no one's going to have as complete a directory as they will, right? So how would you do a search for it? What would you type in? So think about the kinds of associations you want to reach. Right. In this example. case, we would start with, I was just about to do that. The starting point would be banking associations because that seems to be the highest risk group for people in professions who develop PTSDs. So that's where I'd begin. So I just did a search for banking associations. There are 595,000 results, starting with the American Bankers Association. Oh, my gosh. State Bankers Association Alliance contact list. There is an entire list of state bankers associations. And you can download it in a PDF format, it looks like. (laughs) Sorry. Something happened there. I missed it. So that was productive. Yeah. I'm just skimming the first couple pages of results. Just Google banking associations. You'll be here for a few months. Okay. Good. I can how can that. he how can he do some refinement when the or in general when a search result is that big? I mean, Gina, you have some really killer research tips here. Uh, oh. as far as how you do a, a complicated search to really whittle down to what one might need in any kind of search that's returning that rich of a result? I think I would need to throw in the word PTSD. That would make a difference right there, I would think. Well, banking associations, PTSD, how do the two correlate? Well, 
because many of the bankers are suffering from various uh, mental disorders, anxiety, depression, PTSD. I, I've been reading a number of articles on it, and that's what's going on. There, um, I don't have it Our in front of me. Are associations vocal like, about it, though? That's I one, don't know. one thing that has to be. If they're not vocal know. about it, they're not blogging or writing about it or making it available in, on inside channels, it's not going to show up in, in Google in that way. That might have just took the search I've, results down to like three. <laughs> well, I've seen it certainly to do with the charities and the, and the, the veterans. Uh, one of the things that I do when I wind up on a site is I do a search for the, the keyword PTSD just to see what shows up. And in some cases, it's just a flood of information on their site alone. And so it shows me that there's definitely a major concern with it. In terms of the banking, I don't know. There's only one way to find out. That would be, yeah, that would be a really good, that would be one of the first things I would want to know um, because it helps to leverage a lot. When you can pick up the phone and talk to somebody who's already got this on their mind, it's already something that their association is concerned with, doing something about talking about. Otherwise, you get into an education situation where it's like, hey, do you know that the people in your association, some of them have PTSD? I mean, that's just going to, that's no, just not No, that's not, not a leverage, good way to go. You know? <laughs> no, it's not. Here's it's not. a better way of doing it. If I do bank association, banking associations PTSD, I do come mm-hmm. up with a few articles that look fairly reputable that suggest there's PTSD among bank employees who have been victims of robbery and predictors of acute stress disorder in response to bank robbery is another article that comes up. That one is actually from the National Institute of Health. Can't get a whole lot more reputable than that, if you ask me. Um, Mm -hmm. I would pull those types of articles and get some of the statistics that are within them and mm-hmm. include those statistics when you're having conversations with the banking association. I would even consider putting together a little slide deck and to do that just create a PowerPoint that has slides in it and then convert from the PowerPoint to a PDF so that you're actually building a short 10 to 15 slide presentation that you can share with banking associations to help them better understand why you're contacting banking associations around the topic of PTSD. Yeah. Yeah, And so there's a little bit of education there, but it's a deficient form of getting people up to speed quickly, and, and they would be able to quickly go through something like that and decide whether or not they want to do any follow-up. And we'll have no, they'll, they'll know the issue. They'll know what you're talking about, and you will have gotten your point across in a leveraged and a majorly efficient way. So, I mean, it's not bad to have to go and educate a little bit if you know the right tools to do so and, and you know, you have a nice container and it doesn't really feel like you're pushing a boulder up a hill, which this certainly does. Yeah. Yeah, it's really critical to make sure that whichever association we tap into, there's already something in place. Like there was something I was reading yesterday, and I, I think it was with Goldman Sachs, don't quote me on it, but certainly one of the major banking organizations where they had uh, some sort of program in place for people who are suffering from 
rental issues. I, I can't remember where I saw it, but I did see it. And this is the kind of thing we're looking for because if they have something like that in place, then in a sense it's an open door for us. It makes it far easier to to talk to them and say, hey, been looking at what you're doing. We see that you've got some stuff in place. I'd like to suggest another alternative to you that can make a really big difference very quickly, that kind of thing. Well, and certainly then money is never going to be an issue uh, in this in no, these circles. No, <laughs> not, no at all. not at so all. If you can, so not all you all. really have to do, you don't have to have conversations with this market about price or money, which frees you up to double down on uh, going after somebody to get a testimonial they're going to care about. So if you could go to, if you could make a relationship w with, say, Goldman Sachs, somebody on on the team there, <laughs> the team of that giant giant corporation, but and and just have somebody from within uh, be able to be helped by what you guys are doing, and 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 give a testimonial, then you've locked it down, and they're going to be all all ears as to, you know. And, and there's also probably a lot of politics involved in this that I'm sure you've already thought about, but, you know, how much anybody wants to say how uh, people at all as employees of a company are struggling in any way. Because it's not something that, you know, especially companies that really make their living off of their image um, and that everything is okay mm -hmm. and everybody's all right. I'm just throwing this out just so that, that might be something you'd want to look at early on to go ahead and have mitigated before anybody even asks or before the issue would even come up just to be sensitive to that. Because I'm sure yeah, there's ways sure. you can work around that. Well, image is definitely important, no question about it. And in terms of the, the banks and working with them, um, privacy would be essential, very important. Mm -hmm. And like with this, for example, with this DSM checklist, the guy that I was talking to from this this one charity was saying to me, he said, is when you apply it, you need to make sure that with whoever you're working with, that this is for research purposes only, and no names will be divulged. It's for our records, however you phrase it. But privacy, it's very clear that privacy is very important. It would be for anybody, though even more so with a profession like banking. Obviously, you don't want that... Um, perceived uh, deficiency to get out there because it could damage the reputation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just something to think about. It really doesn't have to be For an sure. issue. It would only really become an issue had you not thought about it ahead of time and you and you could caught flat-footed when they asked the question. So just making yeah. sure that you have that in your quiver <laughs> so that uh, that doesn't really even become an issue. It shouldn't be. You know, if it's handled right, it shouldn't be at all. They just need to be, you know, whoever you go after is going to have some interests that need to be um, protected and cared for. And when they feel like you're yeah. totally on it and you've already thought of that and it's okay because this and we've already, we've already addressed it, they're in every single human interaction scenario that their defenses immediately start to go down. If there was a little graph yeah. showing a red line, it would just start dipping under that red line real quick after their heart rate went up a little bit. And you then have to be the protector, the savior at that moment. If you're flat-footed at that moment, then they it just goes and the, the meter starts to steam and pop. And <laughs> No, I don't want to talk to you yeah. anymore. 
So. Well, it's actually this is something that that comes up in terms of Facebook, and and it's well, it's a contextual thing perhaps. But one of the things that you will find on Facebook is you'll get all these different admins of groups saying it's a closed book and nobody can read this unless they're a member of the group. And I, one of the things that I've been saying to the people in our group is, sorry, that ain't so. And they're going, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, the problem with Facebook is Facebook is notorious for not being secure. And if you're dealing with a sensitive issue, don't post it on Facebook. And it's like, why? Because anybody with the necessary hacking skills can crack into your accounts and find out what you've been posting. So it's a mm-hmm. very important issue. And I've addressed that in our group. And a few people will say, well, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I said, well, don't do it. Instead of doing that, reach out to us privately and let us help you in that way. We don't want you to have any issues with your security. And so that's the way that I've addressed it. Because, you know, in my other life, I'm a technical writer, and security is a major topic for me, and I'm very much aware of these different problems. Twitter, for example, is more secure than Facebook. But Facebook has some very serious problems. And a lot of people post stuff on Facebook not realizing uh, the amount of damage they could be doing to themselves without realizing it. So that's right. one way that we would address that problem well, right away. With all of your years of work in the spiritual side, the, the, uh, the energy side of everything, I'm sure you also talk to people about, you know, if you put something out there that's like a lightning rod, only it doesn't receive energy, it allows people to take it away then that's mm-hmm. not helping the people who are in your group that you're trying to help keep their strength and keep their energy at the right level and keep their attitude positive. If they put a reverse lightning rod out there on Facebook or any social media, I mean, I think that's what you're saying too. It's not just a security thing from a technical standpoint. It's a security thing from an emotional well-being standpoint as well. Absolutely, that they don't go out yes. And just Start seeking advice from the world because that never works. That never has in the history of the world it, has ever worked yeah. out. It it happens so much. We we don't have any control over that. All we can do is we can just say to people, This is what this is how it works here. And if you do whatever it is you do outside of here, be aware that these are the potential consequences. That's all we can do. Uh we we can't be responsible in that way. Um, there's only so much we can do and, it, it, and we have encountered that already uh, one person in particular who is doing that and um, milking as much energy out of us as possible and then going to other sites which we just happen to be a part of other groups and trying to do the same thing with other people and it's like hey this is not cool um, this is not, not a good practice yeah. Again, we we can't we can't actually police people except to say, hey, you you violated a boundary here, and if you're wanting right, help, you can only do what you control, yeah. and 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 yeah. Which but is I mean, why you kind of you guys have a kind of a target on your back too, because <laughs> you're attracting people who, in any other situation, would be completely well adjusted and and you know understand social cues and everything else, but by the very fact that they're suffering right now, they're going to, you know, have the potential to do something rash and, uh, you know, Absolutely. you're attracting the very people who have that problem worse than other people do. So, 
So, you know, yes. it must, it, I, I, I imagine it feels like a juggling act at times. In a, in a way, we, we do have rules in place within the group. We've posted those in, in, the, in the notes to do with the group. And we've also posted it at various times within the comments. It's like we offer support and a certain amount of compassion, but we're not into sympathy. And if we notice that any of you are starting to spiral down into a rabbit hole, we're not going in there with you. We're going to grab you by the ears and pull you out. And we'll use simple, we'll use certain questions like, uh, like one of the things that Hamish would do like was somebody uh, who was mani- manipulating people for sympathy and and it was very obvious what was going on a question along the lines of so when did you decide you needed to manipulate people to get sympathy or the other one that was with bullying for example is when did you make the decision to allow yourself to be bullied well that sets off real fireworks with some people as you can imagine, mm-hmm. but it's also designed yeah. to short circuit the thinking process and to get them out of this mindset that's uh, taking them into that that rabbit hole. It, it's a kind pattern of shock, a pattern. Exactly. Pa- I was going to say that you beat me to it. It's a pattern interrupt, and 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 some people like this one woman who was doing it in our group, she vanished within a few minutes. She just left the group and never came back. Other people go, oh, geez, it, it breaks them out of the mindset and they start thinking differently. And when they start thinking differently, then you can have a different kind of dialogue with them. Yeah, it must be a trip to, uh, to know those, those tactics and watch that kind of thing happening and watch some people react the way you would hope they would and others just disappear I mean, I would find myself wondering, where does she go? I mean, is she just gonna is she gonna just be looking for somebody who will supply her the sympathy and the other stuff that you just pretty much flat out said that's not happening with that question, <laughs> not here, no. you know? Or do no. you? I mean, there's so many people to help. You can only help the ones who are who you can help, and so you have to exactly. draw the line and make distinctions. And I, I imagine there's such volume in your world in this world that. You can't really let yourself get sidetracked by things like that. No, it's 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 too easy for this to happen. See, a lot of people, and myself, I was like this too, not anymore, is that they think we need to know their entire story in order for us to be useful. And the truth is the story is of very little value at all other than to let us know a little bit about what's going on. And then someone like Hamish, I don't have the skill yet. I'm still learning it. But someone like Hamish can go, oh, okay, I need to know this, 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 and this. No more than that. Don't need the story. Don't need the history. Mm-hmm. Don't need the drama. None of that's useful to us. Just give me this, this, and this. And then it's like, perfect. Now I can work with that. And so we have to do that because otherwise we would get drowned in information. We just There's no possible way to to deal with it in that way. It, it's, just, it's just one of those things. We only have so much time and energy and availability to listen. And it's, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Because the, the, now, the, any, the demand is far greater than what we can actually supply. We can't save the world. Yeah. Uh, we can do our part. What's really, really, really interesting, what's interesting here in what you're saying is that for some reason, and I've seen it before, so it's a pattern, people who are doing mm-hmm. work like you are, who are helping people, 
seem to be able to do a better job at outlining boundaries that you just did than people who are in business who have been taught that the customer is always right. And they're in business yeah. and they don't know how to – if anybody is listening to this and they don't see the parallels with business and customers and just the way you would typically talk about it, you need to listen to it again because what Nathan's talking about is exactly the same kind of thing that we deal with just in pure you know, product businesses, uh, information, consulting, whatever. And, and, and in the way that you spend your energy talking to, dealing with, or even continuing to work with clients who fall into a, a pattern of something that drains your energy and drains the energy of your group if you're into group coaching or, or anything like that. And I see a lot of business people having a lot more trouble with that distinction and those boundaries than you appear to have. I think primarily because we grew up and when we first started learning the language, we started hearing the customer is always right. And if I don't treat everybody and give them all my energy, you know, these are subconscious things people would say. Nobody would actually say that out loud, I would hope. But, but that is how I've seen a lot of business people operate. And it's kind of weird how the thing that changes it apparently to me, in, in my experience talking to a lot of people like you, is that you're totally in the service mindset. And when you're in a service mindset, you're like, I've got to help as many people as I really truly can help, capital H. And there are going to be some people that I cannot help. A business person is taught to never think that there are people you can't help. If they need my product, and it's clear that they need my product, and I have to do everything I can to get them to use it and to buy it and consume right. it. And yours is, is completely different because it's like we have so many people to help, and, we're only, and you're really aware of your resources – and you're really aware that you have to leverage your butt off because you have limited resources and time and everything else, uh, it's just, you're just kind of further proof in my, at least my theory that when people change their mindset about what they do, and, and, and uh, it can have a huge, huge impact. I think you're a really great demonstration of that today. Thank you. That's very kind of you. The, the mindset is so critical, that's, and we really... It, this, what we're doing is definitely not for everybody. There are many people who will resist it or block it, and sometimes, uh, as uh, Hamish has described to me, it's necessary to confront whoever it is who we're working with and saying, look, you're blocking this process. Do you want the help or not? Yes or no? It's that simple, yes or no? If the answer is yes, then you must stop blocking us. Like. Yeah. And, and this has come up, and in, in terms of our group as well, there's keeping a positive intention, policing the group. We, it, it's been very interesting how it began, because some of what you're talking about, we didn't know this going in. We had to learn it and refine it, and even though we've only been doing it for a little over two months, we've been learning really, really fast. And one of the reasons that I wound up creating a group was based on the advice of a, a guy that I met in another group who said to me, in order to eliminate the problems, like one of the problems I ran into in other groups is victims, the, those people who were stuck in the victim mindset. If I said to any of the stuff that I'm saying to you, they would want to burn me at the stake because they were stuck in that mentality and I would wind up with all these problems. But by creating our own group, then we have control. We can say right. what is and is not allowed. Yeah. Again, really strong parallels with how we uh, talk with people in, in, in 
who believe that they're in a more traditional style of business. Because, I mean, you guys are in business. Make no mistake, this is a business. Yep. But, yes. you, you know, that service mindset really tells a, a huge story to the way your subconscious deals with how you even communicate the idea of what it is you do, who you help, how you help them, and, and repetitively saying things without even probably noticing as many times as you do it, this isn't for everybody. Really, Harvard Business School does not like to hear its business graduates <laughs> say this is not for everybody when they feel like that that thing that they're selling or doing for people is. And you should never say that. It will cut into your sales. And, so, and, and Gina and I are really – yeah, go ahead. No, it's, it's reality. And we, if, if we've been around for any – period of time, we know that the path to failure is trying to please everybody. Not possible, and definitely not here, because a big part of it, and you touched on it earlier, is people have to want to be helped. We can't force them into this. They have to be ready. And one of the things that I've discovered from my own experience is when the pain level is at uh, the, the level that, that you will do anything or, or that you need to do to get the help, then you're ready. Some people may be ready before that. It, it, there's no set um, criteria for that, but people need to be ready. If they're not ready, then they're not right for us and say, well, good luck. Now, yeah. If you listen to someone like Eckhart Tolle, you know, some of these people, it's like, well, you haven't suffered enough. Maybe in another 10 or 20 or 30 years, then you'll be ready to hear the message. When you've gotten to the point where the suffering has become so acute that you will do whatever it takes to resolve it, then you're ready. And yeah. nobody can predict when that's going to be, and neither can we. Um, and there's many people, too, who are attached to their suffering. It's become their identity. Well, again, sorry, not the right ones for us. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, it helps. I mean, if you were... If you didn't have a lot of people to work with, if you didn't have a lot of potential out there to help a lot of people, you might lay awake at night going, man, I'm turning a lot of people away who don't, you know, really aren't ready. But then you can allow yourself to feel a little guilty about that. But the exact opposite, when you're in a niche where you, and it's weird to call this a niche, but it, you know, for all purposes mm -hmm. of everybody understanding, it's a niche. And it's like it's people with a certain uh, problem or set of problems. And it's apparently really massive. I mean, you know, before we talked today, I knew because it was on the news so much that there was something to this, like greatly, like huge. Um, generally, they only talk, like you said, in terms of military, but uh, it's come up in other areas. And it just makes somebody wonder, how big is this problem? And, and when you talked earlier about everybody just swatting at flies of all the different little symptoms, manifestations that – come out of the core problem without dealing with the core problem. Uh, I love that kind of stuff because that's where the solution starts to creep in. If somebody hears you talking about that and they're suffering from a problem you can solve and that you have isolated the core root of what that is, and you can even say, do you suffer from this list of 400,000 things? Yes, and I'm <laughs> sick of it, and nobody's ever helped me. Well, I actually know the one cause of that. Now I'm getting into copywriting and NLP, but, <laughs> you know, they want, they're all ears. And, and you definitely seem to have 
uh, all the, the market that you need. I think that what we talked about today as far as leverage tactics, associations, those kinds of things, um, which are even good things. Gina talks about that with uh, other, you know, not as service-oriented businesses all the time. A lot of people just don't think associations. It was good that you automatically went there. Um, I think that you're building up for something to, to come of this that's going to be rather surprising to you and your partner uh, just because you're looking in the right direction, you're looking in the right places, and you're doing it for the right reasons. And so only something really pretty cool is going to come of this as long as you stick to it and, and um, really think about, you know, uh, how how that one thing can happen. So the solution to your problem is one core root thing that can happen. Like one bankers association responds positively with a lot of support for your message and wants to know a lot more. That one connection could help you guys get to a really big next level in what you're trying to do. Just one. So you don't have to get to all the bankers associations or even 5% of them. Really, you just need to get to one place, and once you've done that, you can turn around and face the other 95% and go, hey, guys, now that we've got this case study, let's do this. What do you guys think now? A lot of people want to just see somebody jump in the water first. So uh, without yes. further delay, what, what's the name of the Facebook group again, and is that the, the main place that people can get a hold of you? Um. I don't have, hold on a second here. Let me make sure that I've got the link. The Facebook group is so you go facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash freedom from PTSD. That's it. Awesome. Well, Nathan, yeah, thank you so much for being here us. today. We really, really appreciate it. This is a great subject. It's something that uh, had a lot of parallels for our other types of businesses. So it was really actually eye-opening. I don't think a lot of people would expect that we – would have had such a good discussion like that uh, that would be so pertinent to them or anybody who's in the same sort of situation that you guys are in building this thing up. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a, thank well, you I so learned much, a lot this morning. Thank you, awesome. Gina. Much appreciated. And we'll be back same time, same place next week. Have a great week, everybody. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.